Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. We want to celebrate that today through His Word. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to kind of go bit by bit through it today. Uh, through different sections of verse 20, verse of the first Corinthians 15. You know, there's a lot of things in life where if there's a piece missing, the whole thing collapses, the whole thing doesn't work. It's not going to function. It's not going to last. It's not going anywhere. The plane doesn't have both of its engines. It loses its function. It must track doesn't have all the pieces in place all at once at the same time, it will not have to last. Now, apologetics is kind of my thing. There's this apologetic argument against evolution. And it comes from an angle similar to that. It's called irreducible complexity. What it argues is that there are certain biological functions and systems that could not have evolved in small steps. Everything has to be in place all at once, created that way. For those pieces to work, those systems to work, everything would have to exist at the same time. The human eye is one such system. The human eye could not have evolved piece by piece. It's too complicated. Everything had to be there all at once for the human eye to have existed and to function creation. Everything there all at once. I'm mentioning this because there is a piece of our belief in the scriptures. There is a piece of our theology that if it was not there, our entire faith system would collapse. There would be no Christianity without all the pieces in place, and that piece is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, we have nothing. Because even if Jesus lived out God's law perfectly, which he did, but if there was no resurrection, he was nothing more than a good moral teacher and a good moral man. But there is no Christian faith. Even if Jesus died on the cross, but there is no resurrection, he was a mere prophet that was martyred. And there is no Christian faith. The resurrection is the linchpin that holds it all together. The resurrection holds together everything that we believe. And because there is the resurrection. We can be assured that our faith is true. And we can rest upon the promises that it is. Now in the passage that I'm looking at today, first Corinthians 15, Paul wanted to make sure that the Corinthians understood how important the resurrection was. Everything lies upon it. He wrote to the Corinthians that without the resurrection, we Assurance of everything that is more than faith. We lose assurance of it all. But there 
is a resurrection. And I want us to leave here today with the knowledge that the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us that every aspect of our faith, everything we say that we believe in, it's true and it's meaningful and it impacts our lives. And so I want to touch on five areas of our faith that Paul mentions that we're able to receive this assurance. And so we're going to take it a bit by bit. And so the first area of faith that I want to mention is that the resurrection assures us of a true gospel message. It assures us of a true gospel message. Look at the first seven verses of First Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though I mean some of them fall asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles of Messiah there. <coughs> Paul writes, and he wants to remind his church that Gospel Mesodet was already preached to them, that they were told to hold on to. The message that they were told to believe. The message that saved them. He wanted to make sure that they had a pure gospel message, that they understood what it was they believed. They understood what it was that they put their hope in. And he wanted to make sure that they didn't put their trust in anything else. You know, that over the, the many decades, there have been a lot of advertisements and commercials that have used the catchphrase, accept no substitutes. Except no substitutes. That's what? That is true of the gospel as well. Do not accept any substitutes of the gospel. Because if you have the wrong message, you believe in vain. A substitute gospel does not save you. A substitute gospel does not get you to heaven. And the resurrection is an important part of that message. So you, you notice the components that Paul mentions of this gospel message. He said these were prophesied in the Old Testament. First, Christ died. But he didn't just die. He died for sins. Through his death, sin is atoned for. That means forgiveness is offered. Reconciliation is made with God. And to make, you, to make sure that you understand, Jesus really did die. He asked, well, he was buried. I mean, didn't, Jesus didn't just faint. Jesus didn't swoon. Jesus didn't just kind of pass out. Jesus actually, physically died and was buried. But then, what does he emphasize? He emphasizes Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Jesus died. He was buried. His body was placed in the tomb. Guess what? Jesus didn't stay dead. And that is the full gospel. Jesus died, but then Jesus rose. 
Too often, with the gospel, we emphasize that Jesus died hard, which, by the way, is very important as well. We can't have a gospel without that part. But we emphasize that Jesus died hard, but then we forget about that Jesus rose hard until Easter Sunday. And then it's all about the resurrection. We will celebrate the resurrection one day out of the year, and then we just say, forget about all the other days here. Guess what? We can't do that. There is no gospel without it. We, we, we emphasize that Jesus died hard, we forget about the Jesus rose part. But you know what? The, the Jesus died part wouldn't have mattered without the Jesus rose part. The Jesus died part wouldn't have accomplished anything without the Jesus rose part. And so without the resurrection, there is no gospel message. There is no good news, right? That's what the gospel means. Good news. If Jesus died without rising from the dead, there wouldn't have been any good news. There wouldn't have been news at all. Because people die all the time. That's not news. Somebody rising from the dead? That, that, that's news, alright. It's good news. Because his resurrection assures and guarantees that the message of the gospel is true. Because Jesus rose to give us life. And he said to give life abundantly. That's what the gospel gives. The gospel gives life abundantly. Not like we're, we're thinking abundantly. Like, ooh, bigger cars, bigger homes. No. Peace, contentment, fruits of the Spirit. That is the truth. But the, 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 the resurrection assures that we have a true gospel message. But there's something else that it assures us of. Number, number two, the resurrection assures us of a complete life transformation. Of a complete life transformation. Look at verses 8 to 11. Paul says, last of all, this is Jesus here, last of all, as one time born, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, our heart than any other. So it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. So the risen Christ. Physically appeared, physically appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. Now you know Paul's story. He was Saul. He was a Pharisee on a mission. He was on a mission to imprison and kill those who they considered to be part of the cult called the way. They thought that they were murdering the Jewish religion. And so he was given an authorization to imprison and kill. And they were found to be part of that way. And then, you know, they were persecuting the Jews, but then they said, well, this thing just kind of gone everywhere. So we got to go elsewhere. So Paul received a letter from the religious leaders to go to all these other major cities and wipe out this, what they considered conversion of the period of the Jewish religion. And yet, by God's sovereign hand, chosen to take the gospel to the Gentiles, the resurrected Messiah manifested himself, showed himself to this murderer. And what happened when the murdering Pharisee Saul 
and encountered the living Christ, the risen Lord. He was completely and utterly changed. And instead of ministering against the gospel, he became a minister spreading the gospel all throughout the Roman Empire. So here's the thing. When Saul, who would then be Paul, came face to face with the Jesus who was alive, he would never be the same again. I don't mean that, that's what he wants. Not me. He went from being a church persecutor to a church planter. He went from being a killer of families to being a fisher of men. He radically changed. What would change someone from being this angry, seething, persecuting murderer? to an apostle of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else to explain it other than he had an encounter with the risen Lord. I mean, if he just thought that Jesus died and heard the story, someone would have told him, yeah, Jesus died, take away sin, but there was no resurrection. Paul would have said, who cares? He would have gone on first here. But when you encounter the risen Christ, your life can't help but be changed. And so Paul says, because of that power with the risen Christ, he worked harder than anybody else for Christ in ministry. It wasn't really him, it was the grace that was given to him by the resurrection Savior. Only the resurrection Christ can bring about such change in a person's life. Paul is describing elsewhere, and it's where the old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And if the resurrected Christ can change Saul's life, the resurrected Christ can transform your life as well. Now, no, you probably will not witness the physical resurrected Christ like Paul. Not with your physical eyes. But with the eyes of faith, you trust that he did rise from the dead. Guess what? You will never be the same again. There is no heart that is too hard. There is no life that is too far gone for him to come in and bring you from death to life. The resurrected Christ can transform any life. I was reading the story of a young man named Horace Langley who tried to get as far away from God as possible. In fact, he wanted to be the rebellious type, and so he decided, you know what, I'm going to follow Satan. And so he, he immersed himself in all sorts of satanic stuff, you know, numerology and tarot cards and music boards and spell testing and I don't know, whatever else. So there was this one specific ritual that he wanted to do that involved a stolen Bible. He had to steal a Bible and do this ritual or whatever it had been. So he found a Bible to steal. But before he did the ritual, he, he thought, I'm just going to read what he thought was rubbish. 
just out of curiosity. And in that Bible, he encountered the story of Christ, he encountered him crucified, he encountered him risen. And the Holy Spirit took this encounter with the risen Christ and worked on Forrest's heart. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Because he encountered the risen Christ. The risen Christ transformed his life. A dead person cannot change a life. You know, yeah, okay, there's dead people who have a lot of philosophies and moral codes that kind of live after they, they die. But those philosophies and moral codes cannot break the chains that bind them. And those moral codes and philosophies cannot be revived. They can't change hearts. Only a risen Christ can do something like that. Only a risen Christ will change hearts. Resurrection preserves that he can. That means he can do it for you. You think, um, no one can change my heart. No one can change my mind. No one can. Look, I'm here on Easter because my family forced me to be. Blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you what. Jesus is alive. He is risen and he can change your life. He can break the chains that are holding you down. If you let them. And so the resurrection assures us our lives can be transformed. But there's not just that. Number three, it assures us of a very important mission in ministry that we have. The resurrection assures us that we have an important mission in ministry. Look at verses 12 through 15. Now Christ proclaimed the race of the dead. Obviously, some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And so Paul's talking about these verses. And he's talking about this is what we lose if there is no resurrection. We don't have a mission, and we don't have a ministry. We don't have a message to preach. We have no hope to offer. We have nothing to give people. We lose our motivation to help people without a risen cross. And anything we want to do in the name of religion, even if we call that religion Christianity, is vain. It's useless. It's empty if Christ is not raised. If without the resurrection, we lose our meaning and our purpose on this earth. Because our meaning and purpose are tied to the full gospel message. That's where our mission and our ministry flows from. Because our mission and ministry is tied to what we believe. If there's no resurrection, we have nothing. If we lose the faith, we lose the mission because there's nothing of eternal significance to be done. If we don't have the faith that there is no resurrection, all we are doing is mere social work and community projects that are heading nowhere and leading to nothingness. That is why it is so dangerous 
dangerous for Christians to somehow disconnect our mission from the anger of the gospel. I'll tell you what, in our day and age, many try. We want to do good, but we don't want to do it with the gospel. We want to change the world, but we don't want to do it with the gospel. Ain't nothing going to change without the gospel. You know, that this past few years, we have seen the spotlight put on many societal problems, and they are problems. But here's the thing, societal problems flow from the hearts of sinful men and women. Down at its core, all of our cultural ills come from the sinfulness of man. And the only answer to the ills of man's sinful heart and therefore cultural ills is the gospel of the risen, the risen Savior. But many churches, denominations, pastors, even in the name of Christ or Christianity, they try and solve society's problems without the gospel. They try to human philosophy rather than the life-changing power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, it is the gospel that motivates change. It is the gospel that empowers change. It is the gospel that directs the change. And it's the gospel that points us to the ultimate goal of change. But the modern social justice movement steers things away from the gospel, steers things away from biblical answers, relying on humanistic philosophy, relying on the politics of the day, rather than the power of the gospel. But the politics the socializing, the laws, the pressures that we might put out there will not change people's natures, will not change people's hearts. There cannot be true justice on this earth until the gospel of the risen Christ bears its weight upon those problems. Social justice, as it's modernly defined, is not the mission and ministry of the church because it has nothing to do with the gospel. But our mission and ministry flow from who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And yes, we follow his footsteps. Yes, he showed compassion on you. Yes, he did many wonderful miracles and works and he tells us to join him in that. But it is within the context of the direction the resurrected Lord gave his disciples after he acknowledged his work, when he said, Go and make disciples of all nations. There's our vision flowing from the gospel. That is the context of our movements of justice. And it is the resurrected Lord that assures us that we have this eternal work to do. And it's that eternal work which is going to make an eternal impact on life as well as on society. Only through the gospel. We do not minister to the temporal without ministering to the eternal. Because that is what is going to bring change. 
Our mission and our ministry is assuring us, go make disciples, be witnesses of our Holy Spirit. Telling them of Christ. And we have a message to tell Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And now he tells us, go forward and tell others. The life changing, life transforming gospel. But that's not all that the resurrection assures us of. Number four, the resurrection assures us of the hope of salvation and glorification. We're sure of salvation and that we will be glorified. Look at verses 16 through 23. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ is not raised, your faith is pure. And you are still in sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ perish. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most dependent. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first truth for those who have fallen asleep. For as by man he is dead, by man he shall also resurrect from the dead. For as in Adam all dies, also in Christ all shall be made alive. But in each of his own words, Christ of our truths, then add his son to those who belong to Christ. So Paul makes this argument. Again, he's continuing to argue everything we lose if there is no resurrection. And he says in general, okay, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, our faith in him is useless because the dead Savior is no Savior at all. And if Christ cannot save, we're still in our sins. And when we die, there is no hope of death ever being reversed. That means those who die physically will remain dead physically. And because everyone is a sinner, everyone will have died spiritually. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will remain our simple, corrupted selves for all of eternity. But, Paul says, it's an actual historical fact, Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And with that comes the hope of salvation and the hope of glorification. The hope of salvation, everything we need salvation. All humans are sinful and have broken God's law. All humans are under the just judgment of God. But Jesus Christ died to pay the debt of sin and to offer forgiveness for those who believe in Him. But He did not say dead. He rose from the dead to prove that His sacrifice to the Father was accepted and to be able to offer eternal life for those who believe. You see, if he didn't rise from the dead, the wrath of God would not have been satisfied. He would not have conquered sin and death, and we would all be lost. But you don't have to be lost. You can receive the gift of salvation and the promise of eternal life by repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ because he lives. Because he lives, and since Christ rose from the dead and offers eternal life, you know, we, we not only have eternal spiritual life, 
We actually have a goal of being raised from the dead ourselves. Paul said in verse 20 and then in verse 23, he calls Jesus the first fruits. Now, in the world of agriculture, the first fruits were the first portion of the harvest that was consecrated to God. But then, you know, the first fruits of the harvest represented a lawless top. And so, you know, the risen Christ is called the first fruits. And that means he is the first of many more involved. He's not the only one to be raised. He's the first of what else is to come. He's representative of what is to come. He is representative of what we who trust in Jesus Christ will be like. That means if you are in Christ, you are going to be resurrected in a body that is just like Jesus, you are going to have an actual physical body that has no sin, that has no corruption in it. It'll still be you. It'll look like you in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how, I don't know exactly how that would be. You know, I've heard some theologians and other people kind of, you know, how they just think out loud sometimes and they say, and they say, well, you know, since Jesus died and was raised in his 30s, maybe everyone's going to be raised in their 30s. And I'm like, yeah. I'm being glad. Well, we don't know. I don't know, but I'm being to be back to my 30s now. Even though I'm going to celebrate my 30s for that day now. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but I'm thinking, oh, we didn't know what it, it will be like, because later in the passage, it's not going to be on the screen, but later in the passage, in chapter 15, Paul describes his body in verses 42 or 44. So he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown, what, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in this side, it is raised in glory. It is so in weakness, it is raised in power, it is so in natural body, it is raised in spiritual body. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be imperishable, it's going to be glorious, it's going to be powerful. It's a spiritual physical. It's still physical, but it's a spiritual physical. We, the, the bodies don't decay and have problems like we have now. It's going to be completely new. They're not going to be corrupted. As they are now. A redeemed physical body without the weaknesses and defilements that we deal with now. That is a guaranteed promise for those who have trusted in Christ because He rose from the dead. We know we will raise from the dead as well and we will be glorified just like Him. But finally, number five, you need to listen to this. The resurrection also serves us in Christ's universal sovereignty. He is king, not us. Look at verses 24 through 28. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must bring it until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to destroy is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. When it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he, God the Father, is accepted. 
who put our plans in spiritual worship. When all things are expected to him that the Son himself will also be subjected to the Father to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. These words of subjection a whole lot. What it's saying is that when Christ returns in his resurrected body, and all his people have their resurrected bodies, he is going to destroy all his enemies and set up his kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. And so there's going to come a time when there is one king and one people over whom Christ will sovereignly reign for all of eternity. Because he is king. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords, and that means Jesus is our authority at all times. Now I know certainly Jesus is in charge right now. Jesus said before he gave the great commission that he had been given all authority in heaven and earth. The New Testament says many times that when Christ ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And in the bottom of the right hand symbolized strength and power and authority. And so when we say Christ sat down at the right hand of God, that means he has all strength and power and authority over everything. He rules creation. He sits at the place of honor. He sits at the place of power. Everything is under his authority because of the resurrection. He is sure of that. There is nothing going on in the world that is not under his authority and power. There is nothing in your life that somehow escapes his authority and power. Things are not out of his control. But we have to recognize that that means every area of my life is under his authority. So he gets to set the rules. He gets to say what is and is not true, righteous, holy. Every aspect of our lives are under his rule. Yeah, but what about this? No, it's under his rule. Yeah, but that's it. What about no? It is under his rule. He was an Abraham Kuyper succinctly saying that he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign of all, does not try mine. He looks at your life and he says, mine. He looks at your family, he says, mine. He looks at your job, he says, mine. He looks at your recreation, he says, mine. Anything you think you can do, guess what? He says, mine. So instead of fighting his authority, submit to it. Because the resurrection assures us that he has sovereign control over every part of this world including your life. So don't rebel against him. Guess what? It doesn't work. He is eternal. He is all power. He is all love. He is all mercy. He is a great sovereign. 
why would we not want to submit ourselves to you? The resurrection assures us of all that. And it is the linchpin of the Christian faith. And yet there are so many who deny it. And still try to call themselves Christians. We'll be a Buddhist or something. You're going to try and deny the linchpin of faith. He is risen. You know, there was this article in, in a paper in Utah. The surgeon said, can you be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection? Well, you, but I don't think you agree to think, well, no, no. You need to believe in the resurrection to be a Christian. And yet, this person wrote in the opening paragraph, many Christian scholars dismiss it. Many Christian theologians down there, and even some worshippers trying to dodge it. I mean, you would think that anyone would claim to be a Christian. Especially if they're involved in some Christian leader who would say, God can't be a Christian without the resurrection. There's a lot there in the trial. And here's the thing without a resurrection Christ, no assurance of nothing. You have assurance of nothing. You're following a moral code. Well, you can become a showerist tonight and follow a moral code. But if you want life, you want life more abundantly, then you need Christ and Him risen. You need Christian. Maybe, maybe there's some things in your life that you don't have assurance of. Come to the altar today. And, and receive that assurance of that you know what? If, if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, then the promises given to me in the Bible are true. So claim that. I don't just search out context, but there is a promise that applies to you, and guess what? Because Christ is raised, it's true to you. Come to the altar and be assured that you know, there might be some here who. You do the religion thing, you might come to church and you're, you're just like, you know, either get the people on the back or here, let me get sprinkled with some religion and I'm good for a week or something. But you never do the trust in Christ. You know, when, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas didn't reply. Well, you know, follow the golden rule and go to church every once in a while. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll be saved. He's not only Savior, he's Lord. King, Lord. Over your life, maybe you've never trusted him. You trust in them to get sprinkled with some religious stuff there. You never trust in Christ. Hey, isn't it? Because it's only through Him that you will have eternal life and that you will be promised that you too will be raised and have eternal life with Him. So when we do our invitation, I'll be up front here. I'll love to introduce you to my Savior, Jesus Christ. Because 
The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.